Thank you, Anne. Folks, keep that passage open before you. We're not going to have a a full-blown sermon this evening, but I am going to to take a few moments to look at the events that Anne has read for us. Uh, Just before we do that, let's pray together. Father God, you sent your Son into the world and you told us that he was your word made flesh. We will never understand you and your purposes for this world unless we understand Jesus. We'll never respond rightly to you, Almighty God, unless we respond rightly to Jesus as we learn of him in your word. Lord, help us now by your Spirit as we think for a few moments uh, on Jesus here. Amen. It was a missed opportunity that cost them millions. It was New Year's Day, 1962, and uh, a bunch of scruffy fellas with guitars gave a demo tape to a guy called Dick Rowe. Uh, producer in Decca Records. Decca rejected it. There's a, they're reported to have said, guitar bands are on their way out. So Decca decided that there was no future for this band of hopefuls at the start of the 1960s music scene. George Martin, a producer at EMI, reacted very differently to these same four fellas who called themselves the Beatles. As soon as he heard them, he signed them up. Within a couple of years, they had sold multi-platinum records both sides of the Atlantic, and Beatlemania swept the world. George Martin found himself at the center of the biggest story in the history of music. Since 1962, they reckon that the Beatles have sold somewhere around about a billion records so a lot of you have a, a, a Beatles CD. Some of you might even have an old Beatles vinyl, I'm not sure. And others have Beatles on, on their iPods. Think of the outcome for a second of the decision made by those two uh, record company producers. Decca's decision cost them millions. EMI's decision made them a, a substantial fortune. One opportunity, two reactions, and two very different outcomes. Life's full, folks, of those kinds of opportunities where people make different reactions and and very different outcomes occur. Uh, A talent scout goes to a football match. One talent scout sees only a donkey running up and down the touchline, but another sees the next Cristiano Ronaldo. Someone goes to a a fashion show and and they look at a designer's work. One person sees only an incomprehensible mess, but another sees a work of real genius. You can't always tell in the moment who's right. Only time will tell. But there are these moments in life, these moments of opportunity. And Good Friday represented just one of these, 
one of these moments of opportunity for these two men crucified with Jesus, the, the two men about whom man read from the Bible just a moment ago. This, this Friday, this Friday that we call Good Friday, it wasn't a good day for these guys. They had been sentenced to be executed, uh, one of the most brutal forms of execution that human beings have ever come up with. They'd been whipped, they'd been forced to carry a huge cross, and they were on their way to die in agony a few hours later. On a hilltop outside of Jerusalem, they were nailed through their hands, through their feet, and then lifted high in full view of a crowd who were there just to ridicule them and pour scorn on them. Three crosses, three men hanging in a row. Jesus we know about, the perfect Lamb of God, giving his life for the sins of the world. But these men, either side of him, they had nothing much in common with Jesus. They were far from perfect. These guys were criminals, terrorists. They were guilty of terrible crimes, and now they were paying for their actions. When we read Luke's account, the thing that strikes us is the very different way in which these two men respond to Jesus. One of the criminals, Luke tells us in verse 39, he hurls abuse at Jesus. He says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Before we're too hard on this guy, we've got to remember that he's keeping company with pretty much everybody else that day. That's what everybody else was doing. They were mocking and throwing insults at Jesus. Luke tells us that as Jesus was crucified, people standing by shouted up at him, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the son of God, the chosen one. The soldiers, they'd they'd been beating Jesus and tormenting him for hours. But even on the cross, they continued, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They put a sign above his head, this is the king of the Jews. Now tell me, is that what they believed? Or was that loaded with sarcasm to further mock Jesus whom they crucified? This criminal and and most other people that day saw Jesus as a failure and as a fake They thought it was impossible that this guy, nailed to a cross, raised into the air, could be the king that he claimed to be. So that's the first response to Jesus, and it's it's the common one that particular day. But as we read on, we see that there's a massive contrast between that first response and the response of the other criminal. Luke records his response for us in verses 40 to 42. Luke tells us that this second criminal rebuked the first. He said, don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence? We are being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know this guy's background, but it really struck me when I looked at this. This guy sees so much 
so clearly. He recognizes that he is getting what he deserves. He says that he knows he's a sinner. He says, we are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. He knows also that Jesus isn't getting what he deserves. He knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And thirdly, he recognizes Jesus for the king that he is. At just that moment when Jesus looked least of all like a king, this guy turns to this bleeding, dying man beside him, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' answer changed the little that was left of that man's short life, and it changed his death. And it was an answer that's changed the life of millions of people ever since and of their deaths. Jesus turned to this guy and he said to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. One opportunity, two very different reactions, and two very different outcomes, according to Jesus. The man on the one side of Jesus died that day just as he deserved. The man on the other side went to paradise, to a place that he did not deserve. One man came to his end, and the other only to his beginning. One opportunity, two reactions, and two very different outcomes. It's all very interesting, we might say. Well-written piece of narrative. Interesting if that happened, that that's the way it was. It's easy, though, to look back on these events of 2,000 years ago and say, that has nothing much to do with me. Wrong. This has everything to do with me and with you. You see, we are in the place of these two criminals. Maybe you hear me say that and you say, that's outrageous. Uh, What do we have in common with these two guys? Well, we'll dwell on it for just a moment. These two are both facing death, and so are we. Our deaths, for, for some of us, may be much less imminent than they are for these two criminals, but they're no less certain. And there's another thing that we share in common with them. Just as these two deserved to die, so do we. These two were being being punished for their rebellion against Rome. Every human being who lives in rebellion against the God who created them, who sustains them, and who loves them, every human being who lives that kind of a life deserves death. They deserve the logical outcome of their rebellion against the one who gave them life. We deserve death for our rebellion against God. Friends, when we think about it for even a moment, we see that we too are not so very different than these two criminals. 
We face a death, and it's a death that we deserve. Folks, we need to choose how we're going to respond to the death of Jesus Christ. We need to choose which of these two responses we will give. We can do what the first criminal did. We can look at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and say that it's irrelevant. We might even join that criminal in, in lively abuse of Jesus in ridiculing him and, and saying that it's daft and, and making fun of him. We might just politely choose to ignore Jesus. We'll continue to live our own lives in our own way, by our own rules, pitting ourselves first. Friends, if we choose, if this is our reaction, then we choose a way that will lead to death, an eternal death, separated from God's goodness and His love. But the wonderful message of Easter, the wonderful story that we read here this evening is that there's another, a second way. We can do what this second criminal did. We can look to Jesus on that cross and we can see a brand new future for ourselves, a brand new way of living. We can choose not to reject Jesus Christ. We can choose to follow Him and make him our king, the king that he really is. Folks, because Jesus died in our place, we can be forgiven. Because he rose again from the dead, we can have new life. And because he loves us, we can be assured that he wants to give all of that to us even now. One opportunity the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two reactions, to reject Jesus or to receive him. Two very different outcomes, eternal death or eternal life. Friends, Easter isn't an ignorable historical event. Easter stands before us this evening. The events of that first Easter, they stand before us this evening as an unavoidable opportunity, one that we must come to terms with one way or the other. Could I plead with you this Easter time, don't miss out on Jesus Christ. Respond to him not in the way of that first criminal, but in the way of the second. Ask him to have mercy on you, to forgive you, and to offer you new life. And then hear him as he says to you, I tell you the truth. When you die, you will be with me in paradise. Let us pray.